Welcome to the Grace Baptist Church podcast, and thanks for joining us for this episode. Before we begin, please take a moment to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you enjoy this content, please don't hesitate to leave us a five-star review and share this podcast with your friends. We'd like to extend an invitation to you and your family to join us for worship this week at Grace Baptist Church. We'd also love to connect with you online at gracekettering.org. Thanks again for joining us and enjoy the episode. Song, praise the Lord for that. And uh, Brother Tom said that that was a, a quartet song. And uh, so we'll have to get a quartet to get together and sing that. Thank you for preaching to us in song this morning. And uh, that's important. Uh, I think the Bible talks a little bit about that, admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Admonishing, that's what that would be right there, admonishing. And uh, make sure that our lives are matching our message. I want you to find Acts chapter number 17, and in a moment I'll have you to stand. Uh, The children can be dismissed to Children's Church, fourth grade and below. Uh, You're welcome to go now down these halls, and uh, trust that the Lord will speak to your hearts this morning. Bless your heart this morning. Acts chapter number 17. Acts chapter number 17. We're going to jump back into the, the series through Acts. We've, we, uh, we were in it for a while, and then we take a break, and we're in it for a while. And uh, this is our 49th message in the book of Acts. You say, that's a lot of messages. is because we're going through it uh, mainly verse by verse or uh, uh, story by story. And uh, today I thought, you know, I'm going to break this apart. And then I thought, no, I, 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 we got to preach the section. And so we're going to do our best to do that today. And uh, looking forward to what the Lord is going to teach us. I really believe that he wants to teach us something. So uh, before we read, I, I want to lay a foundation here this morning uh, and help us to understand where we're going. If you got a worship guide, the notes are in there. I encourage you to follow along and take notes. But uh, Paul is uh, stepping into a really, really interesting city. Uh, if you remember the last time, guys, if you could give me the map. Uh, if you remember the last time, Paul had been up in Philippi. He'd been in Thessalonica. He'd been in Berea. Remember, uh, bad things happened in Philippi. He was jailed. Uh, He's beaten. Uh, The jailer came to the Lord, um, praised the Lord. And then uh, they were kind of booted out, uh, booted out of uh, there. And uh, Paul uh, even stood uh, with his legal rights and just stood and said, basically, hey, uh, if you're going to try to push me out privately when you've you've really wronged me publicly, now you come and release, uh, release me. And so they move on to the next city, Thessalonica. And then Berea, Berea, those were more noble than those at Thessalonica in that they searched the word daily to see whether the things that Paul was saying was so. And so God was moving in these areas. Thessalonica really became a, uh, a station where the, the Bible was just sounding out. The word of God was sounding out from, and so it was reverberating from Thessalonica. Great things were happening, but as in each one of these cities, they were facing persecution so much so that they had to be escorted along the way. And if you remember, the believers there in Berea uh, escorted uh, Paul on his way all the way down the coast there, down to Athens, where he is now at. This is his second missionary journey. It's happening in about 49 uh, BC. And so they're there in Athens, and Paul is on his own. He left uh, Silas and Timothy up in Berea, they're establishing the Christians. They're there, and even some, uh, uh, as we'd understand from uh, correlating Scripture together, uh, they they were the ones that would have brought over offerings from Thessalonica and so on. And so there, he's there in Athens, all on his own. The other believers are going back up 
the ones that escorted them. Imagine that. These guys took off um, work. They, uh, they took time of their lives to escort the Apostle Paul. They so valued what he was doing. They took time to bring him down there to Athens. And so as Paul is now there all by himself in Athens, as he begins to look around, here is a city that is, is a completely religious, very, very, very religious. Uh, and you see that, you see the marks of religion. Uh, you don't see it in, in people necessarily in churches like, like this, but you see it in temples and statues and gods all the way throughout the city. It is very religious. And something really uh, struck me about this when Paul came to Athens. There was no group of believers. There wasn't by the, by the, uh, the riverside like in, in Philippi. There wasn't a group of believers there praying together and just waiting for more light. There wasn't, there wasn't a group of, of people to the fellowship with that were followers of Christ. There wasn't, there wasn't people in his own age group that were there that were followers of the Lord that could encourage him. Uh, Paul didn't have that. And sometimes we, we think about that right within our own, our own life stage. Paul didn't even have that there when he was in, in uh, Athens. He came in. He was on his own. There was no church assembling in the homes. There was no church assembling in a building out in town to sing praises like we have this morning uh, to Jesus who had forgiven them of all their sin and now there's no condemnation in Christ and uh, no, uh, no group to sing and admonish one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. There was no Wednesday night children's program for the, for the children. There was no teen group. There was no nursery. There were no small group studies. There were no pastors that were there faithfully opening up the word and teaching on uh, teaching people caring for people and trying to minister and, and work with people i just want us to understand the the picture of athens it was a dark and idolatrous city that paul had walked into on his own uh, it was a city that worshipped every other god. In fact, it was filled to the brim with the worship of every other god but the real and living god. There was no worship of the true and living god there in, in Athens. And, and we might ask, well, what's Paul going to do? What is Paul going to do as he's in the midst of this city that is completely opposed to his faith, is completely pagan, completely heathen? What should he do? Maybe he should move on to a place where he can find fellowship, where he can find a church, where he can find a, a pastor. What, what is he going to do? And, and I just want to ask us that same question as we, we stop ahead of this message. I want us to ask the same question to ourselves. What would you do if you came into a city like that? Because I can tell you what most American Christians do is they, they look for something that has already started. They're not willing to start it themselves. They're not willing to be the salt and light on their own by themselves and begin to attract believers to themselves. And, and, and here's, here's what oftentimes happens. Well, we're going to move out of, out of the city. Well, there's just so much darkness here. We're, we're just going to move out to a place where we can have it a little bit easier. And friends, I want us to realize the actions of the Apostle Paul give you and I a pattern for how we ought to be living in this pagan society. And this postmodern, this this a society that has rejected all absolute truths is rejecting God and is running as fast away from him to embrace every idol imaginable, though there might not be uh, temples that, that we understand are, are built to these idols. The actions of the Apostle Paul in this chapter give us a pattern for how we ought to be living in this day. And I want to urge and really confront any thinking that, that oh, well, it's not already ready-made for me, so I need to go find it. How about this? Maybe God set you in that neighborhood full of pagans to win them to the Lord. 
Maybe God put you in that workplace full of vulgar language to win them to the Lord. And yet so many times we think, well, it has to be ready-made for me. I need to go find an environment that I'm comfortable in, that I can be secluded in, and my faith not be challenged. God placed you where he placed you on purpose, for a purpose, with the light of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ to win people to the Lord. And I want us to really consider the actions of the Apostle Paul. Now, if you found Acts chapter number 17, you say, Pastor, you've already preached a message. You know, we're just, that's just the introduction, all right? Let's stand and let's read this, um, this powerful passage of Scripture in verse number 16. Now, while Paul waited from, um, for them at Athens, for Timotheus and Silas, his spirit was stirred in him when he saw the city wholly given to idolatry. Therefore, disputed he in the synagogues, with the Jews and with devout persons, and in the market daily with them that, uh, that met with him. Then certain philosophers of, Epicure, uh, of the Epicureans and the Stoics encountered him, and some say, what will this babbler say? Others, uh, others some, he seemeth to be a setter forth of strange gods, because he preached unto them, what is it? Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him unto the Aragopagus, saying, May we know what this new doctrine whereof thou speakest is. For thou bringest certain strange things unto our ears. We would know, therefore, what these things mean. For all the Athenians and strangers which were there spent their time in nothing else but either to tell or to hear some new thing. Then Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill and said, Ye men of Athens, I perceive that in all things ye are too superstitious. For I passed by and beheld your devotion. I found an altar with this inscription to the unknown God, whom therefore ye ignorantly worship, him I declare unto you. God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands. Neither is worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything, seeing he giveth to all life and breath and all things, and hath made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on all the face of the earth and hath determined, notice that word determined, the times before appointed and bound uh, the bounds of their habitation, that they should seek the Lord if haply they might find, uh, feel after him and find him, though he be not far from every one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as certain also of your poets have said, for we are also his offspring. For as much then as ye, we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the Godhead is like unto gold or silver or stone, graven by art and man's, a man's device. And the times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. Because he hath appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness. Aren't you thankful for that? I am. Oh, I'm thankful that God is the righteous judge. He'll set all things straight. He's going to judge the world in righteousness by that man. Who's that man? Jesus Christ 
whom he hath ordained, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men, in that he raised him from the dead. And when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, and others said, We will hear thee again of this matter. So Paul departed from among them, howbeit certain men clave unto him, and believed, among which are Dionysus... Uh, yeah, I messed that one up. And, uh, they, uh, and a woman named uh, Demarius and others with him. I apologize. I messed up. And once I get gone in, in my mind, I'm, I'm toast. Okay, so here we are. You know I'm human. Uh, so we have this message that God gives through the Apostle Paul to these people, and it's highly important to us. The title of the message is Sightseeing or Soul Wintering. Sightseeing or Soul Wintering. You know, we'll wrap that up at the end. But I want us to really understand something this morning, that Paul went there on a mission. And we're here on a mission as well an important mission that we all need to be reminded about today. Father, would you bless us now as we receive your word? I pray that you give me clarity of thought, that you would help me to communicate your word. And Lord, I pray that, that I would not be the one that would be seen, but that you, and as the author of this, this passage of scripture, would be seen and be elevated in our lives, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Thank you for standing. So what was it that Paul did? What was it that Paul did in this city so filled to the brim with gods and the, the worship of other gods but the real God? What did he do? What, what can we learn that would help us th as we live in this pagan society? I want you to see he observed their real need. He observed their real need. Notice this word in verse number 16, waited. He waited there while he waited for his, his, uh, his, uh, his team to come down. Timotheus and Silas, he waited there. And the Bible helps us understand that he waited with an anticipation. This isn't just a waited and he chilled out while he was there. He waited with anticipation. He did not wait for something to happen uh, toward him. He didn't wait for them to come to him. He, he waited with anticipation. He was proactively out in the city observing it, driving about, if you will, looking about, if you will, trying to see what, what he could do in that city to bring it to the Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to see that he saw their idolatry. He saw their idolatry in verse number 16. He saw a city wholly given to idolatry. Three times in this passage of Scripture, we see things that come up, see, behold, and to, um, to perceive. See, behold, and to perceive. Verse 16, verse 22, and verse number 23. He was watching this city. He was observing this city. He was taking notes on this city. Athens was a center of culture. It was a center of education. It was a center of fine arts. And it was a center of political influence. So it was a key city. It was one that when you would come into, you were there typically to observe what was going on and to be wowed by its fine arts and to be wowed by its influence. But not Paul. He was there for a specific purpose. But what was it that he saw? As he walked into the city, what was it that he saw? I, uh, I, at this point, I feel a little bit limited to try to adequately describe some of what he saw. In fact, I, uh, if, you, if you're interested, I'll leave it up here on the, on the platform afterwards, uh, is, is a, a printout of all the different uh, uh, temples and, and different systems of worship that were uh, there in, in, uh, in Athens. Just so many. Everywhere you would look, you would see uh, different temples and different places that... that that were built towards uh, false gods. You see the Acropolis. You see the, the temple of, 
Olympian Zeus and from a, a family of, of gods that were uh, the, the, the one Olympian was a, a god of war but, uh, and, and those that followed after him were in that same vein of thought. Uh, uh, the temple of Hephaestus, uh, it was a patron god of metalworking, craftsmanship, uh, fire, and so they worshipped the, the arts and, and what man can do with his own hands, the Parthenon. Many of you have probably heard of the, the Parthenon. It was a temple to the Virgin Athena. And uh, there at the Parthenon, at the top there, uh, along those headers there on all four sides, it was a, it was a uh, procession of all the different gods that they worshipped. They were very um, a multi-god in their, their worship. You have the temple of Athena Nica, uh, Nica uh, which is, uh, you'll notice uh, our word Nike comes from this, the goddess of victory, the goddess of triumph, and Athena there in a, a base relief uh, on, on your left, and then the temple of uh, uh, Athena Nica. Paul would have seen that as he's walking up to the Acropolis. He would have seen this temple that was just overarching. Everywhere you look, you saw the, the, the reminder that this city was wholly given over to idolatry. And that is what the word uh, holy given is the idea of to be filled up, to be covered over with idolatry. That is a picture. More so than most of the other cities Paul had been in, this city was wholly filled to the brim with the worship of every god but God himself. Uh, Petronius, a uh, contemporary writer of, in Nero's court, uh, he said it was easier to find a god at Athens than a man. It's easier to find a god at Athens than a man. And uh, it's interesting that as Athens embraced these gods, it really was just an uh, underscoring of the fact that they had rejected the one true God who had been revealed to them in creation. They rejected him and they went after every God imaginable. And so as you see this, as you see the, the idolatry, as Paul saw the idolatry there in Athens, uh, it's not much different than what we have going on in our society. Nothing is new under the sun. Can I get an Amen. We think that we live in a different society and we say things like unprecedented all the time. But it's not so unprecedented when you start to study down and to realize the different worships that were going on in that day. And you know what, friends? There's idolatry in our day. There are people worshiping in multiple different temples around this community today. It might be uh, the bar. It might be a restaurant. It might be uh, B-dubs where they can watch sports uh, until, you know, until their brain turns to mush. It, 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 there's multiple different places. And I want to just underscore it today, though, though I'm gonna, I might hit on some things, but you know the Football Hall of Fame, you can walk in there and you can see all these icons of all these people that are so elevated in our society. No matter what kind of lifestyles they live, no matter what kind of example they are, they're lifted up in front of the young people and in front of the uh, older people of our society as icons and people you should follow after and it is nothing more than a shrine you walk over um, just go on north of here on, on on route 75 and you find hollywood gaming and you know hollywood gaming is a a temple to pleasure and to the the god of money and their tagline there is endless thrills starring you starring you and you think people aren't you aren't affected by that. People in our community are affected by that. In fact, there are people that I know who are hindered from coming to God because they're so gripped with that God, the God of money, and maybe I can make a little bit more. Maybe I can, maybe I can have a good win. I can at least have a, a, a thrilling time as I do it. I think of the abortion clinic on Stroop Road. It is a temple to the God of convenience. You can go there and you can erase away all the effects of, 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 of a decision to be immoral or to be against God. 
And while I say that, God loves and he wants to bring people to himself. He forgives. God is a forgiving God. Can't we say amen to that? But this is nothing more than a God. And we have to realize that. This is nothing more than temples around. I think of Black Friday. We're already hearing about it. But this is nothing more than turning stores into the the God of materialism. I'm going to worship there. I'm going to stand in line. People won't stand in line to go to church. People won't stand in line to to get into into a seat in church. But they'll stand in line for hours on end to get a new TV. That is nothing more than idolatry. And isn't it interesting that that is after the very day that is set aside in our country to give thanks to God, and God said that the the thing that begins to devolve a society, Romans 1 and verse number 21, is a lack of gratefulness. And so we say, we thank God, but now we're calling it Turkey Day. You realize that we live in a pagan society, and we have cleverly put all the different temples, and we've named them different things. Best Buy, Hollywood Gaming, the Abortion Clinic, or Family Planning Center, or whatever you want to call it, a Football Hall of Fame. All these things are nothing more than worship of something. You say, well, how do people worship? How do people worship football? They give exorbitant amount of time, money, well, I don't go there, I just watch it on cable. You give them an exorbitant amount of money. Now, God has given us all things richly to enjoy. But there is, there is, in our culture, there is a worship of these things. And friends, we have to stop imagining that we're living in an idol-less society. We live in a, a society full of idols, and we too have gotten enamored with it and we begin to sightsee in the midst of the society rather than soul win. Oh, it's not that bad. It's not that bad. Friends, anything that keeps a person from declaring, a person who's saved from declaring the Lord Jesus Christ is a really bad thing. Anything that keeps a person from coming to Christ is a really bad thing. And so there is a, a, a spirit of idolatry that is filled over the city. And I make the case here today, I could go on, there is a a spirit of idolatry that has washed over our country. And it is real and it is deep. We are filled to the brim and I have no doubt it is the reason that God is bringing judgment upon our country by allowing the foolish to reign over us. And that is a biblical, a biblical truth that God will put the foolish in charge of a country that he is ready to, to bring into judgment. And so we see this all over. What stirs your soul? What do you see when you see our society given over to these things? Do you see the soul behind it or do you see the sights? Well, that's pretty awesome. A lot of Christians are enamored with the sights. Paul was not. He saw the idolatry. He saw their real need. Notice his spirit was stirred in verse number 16. And it says just that. His spirit was stirred. It was provoked within him. Now, provoke, the other time that this word is used is the idea uh, in a negative connotation uh, over in 1 Corinthians 13 when it's talking about uh, love. Love is not easily provoked. It's not easily provoked. So uh, here, here he's saying he was provoked. He was stirred up in his spirit. And it, it, it motivated him. He couldn't just sit still. Uh, it's, it, it was not that he did not value marble statues less, but he valued living men more. He is not uh, the weak man, but the strong man who regards the immortal soul as transcendently more important than fine arts. Paul did not consider the idolatry picturesque and harmless, but he considered it as grievous. It stirred his heart. 
Lamentations, Jeremiah writing, mine eye affecteth my heart because of all the daughters of my city. I, I look at this and I, I'm, I'm hurt. I'm, I'm stirred in my heart. Jesus saw the multitudes, Matthew 9, 36, and he was moved with compassion. He saw it, it stirred his heart. It, it welled up his heart with sadness and compassion for them. What stirs your heart? Jesus told us to, to look on the, the fields and lift up our eyes and look on the fields for they're already white unto harvest. And the fact is we've gotten our eyes on the, on the trinkets of society and the idols of our society and the, the nice things of our society, the fine arts of our society, all the enjoyments of our society, not realizing we've gotten our eyes on the sights and not on the souls behind the sights. We do this over and over. We go through a week and we're perfectly content not to mention the name of the Lord Jesus Christ one time. Friends, that is against our Heavenly Father. How can we stand before him and hear, well done thou good and faithful servant, if we as his church are, are looking and sightseeing and not really lifting up the name of the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, I, I'm, I'm bashful. Friends, we got to get past that. God has power for you. God has power for you on the other side. He will enable you. He says, lift up your eyes. But you know what I find? If we're very concerned, if we truly see people on their way to hell, it will change what we do. It will stir our hearts. It will stir our hearts. And it did his. He was stirred. And Paul didn't just sit there and get stirred. Well, you know, this is a problem. I look around. Someone ought to do something about that. Someone ought to create a missions agency to get, um, get these people saved. And someone ought to go to this town. And someone younger than me ought to go to this town. No, what did he do? He created opportunities. Verse 17. Therefore, therefore, everyone say therefore. Therefore, disputed he in the synagogue. Well, it sounds like he kind of went there just to pick a fight. No, disputed is, is the idea to broach a subject, to have a discourse. So he went there. He did not have the same platform like is this and where he declared a message. He went there and created conversation. He went there to talk. He went there to, to meet with the people, and that's exactly what he did. In creating opportunities, he went to the people. Say that with me. He went to the people. That's what he had to do. He had to go out to where the need was. And he constantly was, over those days, was discoursing with them, uh, looking for conversations. He did this in the synagogue, and he did this in the market. Now, the synagogue, uh, you remember, is a Jewish house of worship and prayer. There needed to be 10 Jewish men in a city in order for there to be a synagogue for them to support a synagogue and to support the leader of the synagogue. So there, there were at least 10 Jewish men there that could, that could support it financially and could be a part of that synagogue. And so they were there, and this does not mean that they were believers. In fact, they weren't. They were following after the, the, uh, the, the laws of the Pharisees, and, and a, uh, they had not yet accepted the Messiah. These were not believers. And so there's the synagogue, but he went there. It was a meeting place, so he went there. But he also went to the marketplace. This is like him going to the mall, the economic center, where things were happening. In Athens, it was called the Agora. And uh, so he's there in the midst, and in all these different places, he is ministering, he is conversating. Hey, what do you think about? And let me tell you about my friend named Jesus. When I was on the road to Damascus, Jesus changed my life. He showed up in my life. He changed my life, and I've never been the same since. I used to persecute the church, but now I, I'm, I'm, uh, I've been sent by God to tell you about this. And he began to describe and to conversate with them, discourse with them, dispute with them, as the Bible says here, uh, what it was to follow Jesus Christ. You say, well, how do you know he's preaching Christ? Because a little bit later, that's why the Epicureans and the Stoics came after him, because he was preaching Jesus Christ. 
So he was declaring Jesus Christ to them. Now, Paul was not intimidated by the darkness. This is where we need to get a grip here. Paul is not a super Christian. Paul is simply a man called by God, doing what God called him to do, doing what God told him to do. You've been told to do do something, to be a witness everywhere you go, and so wasn't Paul. And he just relied on the, the power and the strength of God and took the opportunities, and so shouldn't we. So he's not a super Christian. He's not like he, he had some sort of special, special, uh, special opportunity and special ability to preach the word. He was simply there doing the word of God. And the Bible talks other places where Paul did uh, suffer uh, in his own, in his wrestle in his own spirit with doing the will of God. In fact, in uh, the end of Ephesians chapter 6, he talks to us about that. He asked believers to pray for him in this way. He says, will you pray for me that I'll speak as I ought to speak? That God would open up doors and that I will speak as I ought to speak. You know, Paul sometimes even dealt with, uh, do I speak? Should I, should I speak? And he felt the hesitation. So Paul, Paul understood that, but here he is. He's not intimidated by the darkness. He boldly brought the light of the truth into there. And you ought to remember with me that you and God are always the majority. Amen? Are you with me tonight? Today, whatever it, uh, this moment is. Lo, I am with you always, he says. But here's something else I want us to catch from this. We need to stop expecting the lost to come to us. How many times do we pray something like this? Lord, I pray that there'll be visitors at church. But we've not invited anybody. We've not, we've not engaged anybody. We don't have any feelers out. We, we're not developing that relationship. And so they pass by and they're like, I don't think I want to go into that place. They're probably going to judge me. And they need somebody like you to put their arm around them and encourage them and tell them how much God loves them and how much God wants them and how much God will change their life. And this is what he did in my life. Friends, we've done way too much expecting that they will come to us. As a church, I'm highly burdened about this matter. And in some ways, I can look to my own leadership and, 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 and give some fault, but friends, we need to become more, more aggressive. We need to become stronger about reaching out. You say, well, we, we are a soul-winning church. Soul-winning churches win souls, bring souls to the, to the Lord. Friends, we need to take some steps up. And you think about this. Uh, the Bible tells, Jesus told his disciples in story. It says, Luke 14, verse number 23, And the Lord said unto his servants, Go out into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in. Why? That my house may be full. Now, is he talking about this house no, he's talking about his, his house, the, those that are in the fold, okay? Uh, and, and this is his representation here in, in this place of, of uh, this is a local church, a body of, uh, of Christ, a local body of Christ. And so as people do come and join us, they, they need to be saved and they need to be baptized. They're part of the family of God. You understand, understand that? There's a sense where you can apply that down here. But he is talking about heaven, that his house may be full. God's desire for you and me is to go out to compel them to come in. Can you, can you say right now that your actions, that your characteristic is one of compelling people to come to Jesus? Ask yourself, who is in this church 
because you won them to the Lord or you invited them to the Lord. Ask yourself that. We need to take a step up. We've been expecting them to come to us. We need to go to them. Paul did that. He went to them. He went to the people. That's what the bus ministry is all about, friends. That's what the bus ministry, and I I am praying right now that there will be some of you that will gain such a passion for the bus ministry that it's not something we have to implore people to come and help with, but it's something that, that, that we can't keep people from coming and helping with. The bus ministry has always been about going and compelling people to come in, inviting them, giving them a way to come in. We need, we need folks to, to step into that role. What about, what about the new movements? They're new to town. How are they going to know about what God is doing here? How are they going to know about the word of God being preached here if we don't go out and tell them? If we don't go out and say, hey, I'm from Grace Baptist Church, welcome to town. How? about hanging door hangers taking a map and going friends we have to take a step up we got to go out there every person in this church needs to be a part of that every person and you say i can't physically walk okay what can you do could you call the office and say you know what i'll help be preparing the new move-ins i'll help make sure that the map i'll hey i'll I'll help pastor make sure that this stays organized and this uh, uh, is taken care of because I, I don't want pastor to have to uh, worry about that administration. I'll help make sure that it gets taken care of. I'll try to help pastor um, keep people motivated and keep people uh, assigned and have tasks and keep track of the maps and all that type of stuff. I'll, I'll help with that. There is something for everyone to do if you have a heart to go out and get it. There's something for everyone to do. Someone needs to say amen or something or we're just going to sit here. <laughs> He went to the people, friends. I'll be delinquent if I don't challenge you to do it and if I don't do it myself. You do not want a pastor that gives up on this. And sadly, in some ways, I feel like we've come out of COVID. A lot of things have pushed against us. And in some ways, I've let let either some criticism push back. And I... The Lord has been talking to me about every time I get to a conference, about every time I get around other preachers, about, hey, we need to step up the game. Every person in this town needs to know about Jesus Christ. They need to have a chance. This is where God's placed us. We have no other reason for existence if we're not doing that. And so God help us with that. You say, well, what about the edifying of believers? Believers are edified to go and tell. If you are not going and telling on a regular basis, you're not, you're not growing in Christ. You, 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 you understand what I'm saying? We're, we're not growing in Christ because the heart of Christ growing in us will always, always declare. You say, I'm, I'm nervous. I'm going to talk about that in a moment and give us some ways that we're going to work even in the coming year to take care of that. I want you to notice he engaged them personally, though, too, in verse number 18. There's two that are mentioned here, the Epicureans and the Stoics. Um, they were in love with their own religion, their own wisdom. They, they, there were high thinkers there. There was education there. The Epicureans in particular, they taught that pleasure was the chief end of human existence. If it feels good, do it. Has anyone heard that before? Isn't that describe our society? Their philosophy was grounded in experience, not reason, not, not truth. Uh, they were almost atheistic. They, uh, they attempted, 
um, they attempted to free people from the idea of gods, the idea of afterlife, the fear of death. Has anyone else heard of something like in our day, you know, people that try to free other people from religion? You heard about that? There's whole organizations that, that work to free people, liberate people from religion. Uh, similar to the evolutionists, they, they believe that the world was formed by a fortuitous con concourse of atoms and not created, not even formed by divine power. So we think Darwin came up with this. Not really. It's been around. It's been around because Satan is the one who energizes these thinkings. The Stoics were very materialistic. They're fatalistic in their thinking. We might as well eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we'll die. It's all here. Their system was based on pride, personal independence. Nature was their god. They would have been the ones walking around with doggies in purses and pigs in carriages. They would have been the ones sitting on pita board. They believed that all nature was gradually moving towards a great climax. We laugh and chuckle, but friends, nothing has changed. We live in a, a country that has idolized animals. And believers sometimes idolize animals. Well, I can't go to that function because my dog. I, I, I just can't. I mean, and literally where animals start hindering your service to the Lord. Just think about it. We live in a society that is wrapped up in that. I just challenge your thinking. That's, that's the direction, and it's so easy for us to get sucked into all that. Now, does the righteous man re uh, regard the life of his beast? Yes or no? Yes. So God never, never approves of abusing animals. Amen? And God's not saying we can't have pets, okay? Uh, I mean, Adam had a bunch, a bunch of animals. It's not saying that we can't have pets, but the elevating them into a place uh, where they have the same sanctity of life as a human, that is what our society has done. It's idolatry of creation. And God said that that would happen in Romans chapter 1 and verse number 21 and following. So in both of these ways, you can see there's tendencies. The evolutionists, you can see the materialist, you can see uh, the worship of nature as their God. Both of these groups, though one, the Stoics probably would have been elevated in Athens above the Epicureans, both of these groups were hostile to the, on the gospel, but what was Paul's message? What did Paul bring to them? And it was simple. It was simply this, Jesus and his resurrection. And it says there in verse number 18, that was his message. Now, I want us to understand something. As they, they invited Paul to come and talk with them at Mars Hill, uh, do understand that they said, uh, they kind of invited him, and Mars Hill would have been a place where they would hear something out and potentially could bring some criminal uh, allegations against a person. Uh, so it was very, very difficult to bring any other religion into, into, or way of thinking into Athens. And so they wanted to hear this, and on the surface it seems like a, a, uh, a, a firm, polite invitation. And that's probably what it was. But notice what they said about him, what this babbler will say. You know what that is? That is the word for a bird that flutters from place to place looking for chance seeds. And so that's, that's how they depicted Paul, this guy who just happened to come into town, just has something to say, and is going to flutter off to somewhere else. And just a total 
uh, a total insult to the Apostle Paul and, and what he was doing. And so it just kind of trivialized him or discredited him, just like they do today uh, with, with the message of Jesus Christ, discredit the messenger. And so Paul's message was simple, Jesus Christ, God came to man, and notice that he exalts him as the one who came near. So the, the Epicureans thought that there was no connection between God and, uh, uh, God and man. The, this, it was impossible to have that relationship. And what did he preach? Jesus Christ came from God. He is connecting man to God. And that, was, that flew in the face of their, their thinking. And we find in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 19, to wit, that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. That was his mission. He was coming to reconcile Athens and Kettering unto himself. And so then also he highlights the resurrection. Without highlighting the resurrection, Jesus' teaching is vain. The Bible tells us that in 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 14. And if Christ be not risen, then our preaching is vain and your faith is also vain. And so he exalted the resurrection, though many of them did not believe in an afterlife, and this would be against their thinking, he promoted the Lord Jesus Christ in the simple message, Jesus, and Jesus resurrected. And so Paul did not come to them with a different message ultimately than he came to Thessalonica and to Berea and to and to Philippi with, he simply preached Jesus and him uh, crucified and risen again. He preached Jesus Christ to them. Now, the way that he couched it, the way that he approached them was a little bit different. We'll see that in a moment. But did not change the simple message of Jesus and him uh, risen from the, um, from the grave. And um, being that he is risen, he absolutely declared his victory over sin, death, and hell, something no other God has ever done. All the other gods have a, a place where they're buried. Jesus' tomb is empty. Praise the Lord, and I'm thankful for that. Aren't you? So we can't improve on this message, friends. The message you bring to this pagan society is the same message that Paul brought to Athens. Jesus and him resurrected. There's different ways that we go about uh, couching or engaging them and turning the conversation to that, but it's the same message. All Paul had was this message. That's all he had was this message. He had no other hope to bring to Athens than this message of Jesus and him resurrected. And by the way, if you're here today without Jesus Christ, that's what you need. You need to see Jesus is the one sent from God because God loves you so much and he wants to reconcile you to himself because he's holy and he cannot overlook sin. He wants you back. And if you will receive Jesus Christ, he will give you the authority, the power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, Jesus' name. He will restore you. He will bring you into reconciliation. You will be accepted and beloved. And so this was the message he was to, be, uh, uh, to bring to them. Now, I realize that as we think, that I, I think I mentioned it last, last week, that over the last six months, most evangelicals say that they've not mentioned and, and, and talk to one person about Jesus Christ. Over half of evangelicals have not, have not witnessed for Jesus Christ, declared Christ in any way over the last six, uh, six months. Lifeway did that research. One of, the, one of the biggest reasons that you and I, well, why don't you help me out? What is one of the biggest reasons you think that you and I do not share Christ as much as we ought to or never share Christ? What is one of the biggest reasons? Who, what was it? Fear of rejection, thank you. Anyone else? Did I hear it over here? You all agree with him? Okay, so friends, if that's the problem, 
and we know that we live in a world that's idolatrous and going to hell, how are we going to get over that? Paul, Paul had fear in his heart. Was Paul rejected? Multiple times. How are we going to get over that? I, I'm, I'm, I'm more than dead serious. I can't be more serious right now. How are we legitimately, how are we going to face that challenge? Listen, guys, you go to work and, and you go to staff meeting and get in a meeting, there's, a, there's an obstacle in the way. And you say, well, this is what we're going to do to get past this obstacle because we have to. And you devise a plan and you get past the obstacle. Are you with me, guys? Whether you're in construction or business, whatever it is, there's an obstacle. We got to get around it. We got to get over it. We got to go through it. We got to figure out a way. So legitimately, how can the Grace Baptist Church, the members of Grace Baptist Church, you and me, get past the fear? Because even as I've preached this, the first part, you know we need to take steps up. You know that in your heart. Your heart is saying amen to that at the same time saying, I don't think I can. Are you with me? Would you pray about that with me? Would you ask the Lord to give us victory over this and help us through this obstacle? The Bible tells us that we're to sanctify the Lord God in our heart and we're to be ready always to give an answer to them that ask a reason of the hope that lieth within us with meekness and fear. But he also told us in Matthew chapter 28 and verse number 20 that we are to go and teach all nations we were to remember that, lo, I am with you always. And the secret comes in, in, in not who you are, but in who Jesus is. And the fact that he is with you at all times. And we must and must rely on his strength and realize that they're not rejecting me, but they're rejecting someone else. They're rejecting him. Now, to that effort to help us, um, I want you to write down this date. I want you to write down January the 22nd. And at this point, put in the afternoon. I haven't nailed down the final time in the afternoon. But I want you to write down this time, this date. January 22nd, it's a Saturday in the afternoon. Now right now, I would love if, if every one of our members would put that on their calendar and say, I'm going to be there at this, at this seminar. Uh, we're titling it 21st Century Soul Winning Seminar only because we're soul winning in the 21st century, okay? This is where we are. This is where God has put us. Pastor Brian Treadway um, is a man that I've, I've had connections with for a while, um, but more, more recently, he has, the Lord has really moved him because he, he faced this exact thing, really moved him to, to simply help encourage churches like ours in this matter. He's going to come, and he's going to uh, give us a seminar. It will be a training seminar, but from hearing what other, other churches have said, it's really helped especially get past this, the, the fear aspect. And I want you guys to be there because I want to help you. Now, what is my job to you all? Ephesians chapter 4. Well, the pastor's a shepherd, yes. But what am I, what am I so specifically supposed to do? Equip the saints, perfect the saints for the work of the ministry. So at this point, the best I know how, because I preached to you a lot about witnessing and, 
and declaring Christ. But the best I know how is I want to bring in another voice that, who God is using right now, and I want to allow him to encourage you in this way. So I'm, I'm asking you, you say, I, I have fear. Well, let's, let's pray about it, but let's take some action. Let's say, I'm, I'm going to be there. I'm going to be a part of that, that seminar, and then I'm going to enjoy that weekend. He'll stay and preach for us that Sunday. But let's be a part of that. I'd love to have this auditorium full of every one of our members saying, I don't want to be fearful anymore. Now, as I say that, Acts shows us that it is the, the filling of the Holy Spirit that changes that. Sometimes it is a matter that I don't feel like I have the tools that I need. Sometimes it's, I have the tools, but I don't know how to use them the right way. I use the hammer to, uh, to try to you know, screw something in. It just doesn't work, okay? So let's, let's get our tools in the right order. Uh, I, use a, I use a spatula to try to cut the cake for you ladies. Let's get the tools in the right order, in the right place, know what they're used for, and let's, let's overcome this by the power of God. So that we too, like Paul, can go to the people, having the confidence, here's his word, I have the tool, I have his spirit, we can do this with his power. And if I'm rejected, I'm going to pass it off to him and say, Lord, they just rejected, uh, rejected you again, and I'm not going to take that person. That, that rejection is against you, and I pity them for rejecting you like that. You with me? Let's overcome this. Let's, let's conquer this in the coming year. We're coming into winter. Sometimes it's a little bit harder. We can still do new move-ins. We can still put things on, on doors. We can still engage the people that God puts right in our life, which he wants us to do 24-7. We can still pass out tracts. We need to be doing that. But let's, let's overcome this by God's, by God's grace so that at the end of 2022, that God would enable us to be a... a a soul-winning church that doesn't just say it, but is, is actually seeing people come to the Lord regularly through our individual witness. You with me on that? Will you pray about that? And I, I think that the Lord wants us to do that. And so let's, let's follow him in that way. So Paul observed the real need. He created opportunities. We want to do that. We want to observe the real need. Please, as you go to lunch today, look past the rudeness and see their real need. Look past the person that cut you off and doesn't feel any remorse about it and waved you a nice gesture. Look past that and see the heart that is away from the Lord Jesus Christ. Look past the sight. Look past all the things that can enamor you. The person that is just all enamored with their their vehicle, you know, wow, cool vehicle, look past that to see the heart that is aching for something to fill the void in their heart, and they've placed a vehicle there rather than God, or a house there rather than God, or immorality rather than God, or drugs rather than God, or drunkenness rather than God. Look past, see the heart, see the real need, and then create the opportunities. Number three, he declared the living God. You can't get away from it. And this is where we all want to be. I can guarantee you every sensitive heart to the Lord Jesus Christ here is saying, yes, I want to be there. I struggle with my fear. I struggle with knowing what to say. I want to be there. Well, let's see what he said. What did he do there in, in Athens? And so he's there at the Aragopi, uh, er, er, I'm just not really having a great time with these words today. He's there at Mars Hill, and he has noted the, the, the altar to the unknown God, 
He is, he is noting their worship, their devotion to them. And I want us to realize that as he's there, he is in this, this place of civil and religious council meetings that happen there. So this could be a place of intimidation because if it didn't go right, it could, it could end up wrong for him. But Paul knew his audience. In Jewish audiences, he would often start with the Old Testament and would highlight Jesus as the coming and promised Messiah. But you notice that he did not start with that uh, with, that with them. He, he started with God and who he, who he was. But before he did that, did you notice the statement that he said, I perceive that you are very superstitious. Now, how many of you would say, you know, it seems like Paul's kind of nagging on him. No, he wasn't. Uh, it's the idea of you are very religious. I see that you're real devout. I, I see that you're really devoted. You know what Paul was doing? He was politely making an entrance into their hearts. You know what? I see that you're a, you're a sincere follower of Zeus or of, of Athena. I, I see that you are really a, a sincere and very religious person. But I want to I draw your attention. You even have an altar to this unknown God for fear that you might have left out a God that you should worship. And that's the one I want to declare to you. That's amazing, friends. Do you notice the pivoting that just happened there in that conversation? I see that you're very religious, and you even have a God, uh, an altar to this unknown God who you don't even know. But I have come. I am here to declare that God to you. So I wish I could pivot conversations like that. Well, God, God enables that, friends. God enables that. And so what did he declare to them? Well, he declared, first of all, that this God was their creator. Well, the Epicureans think that there is no creator. It, it just uh, it happened by happenstance. And so he begins to declare and, and go right against what, what, uh, what they believed in their, in their minds and in their hearts and what been taught in their, um, the, the, the college education. They've been taught these things. And he isn't to be worshipped uh, uh, with things made of men's hands. And he gets right to it and begins to challenge their thinking he's your creator. The Epicureans believed in this this evolution but he announces in the beginning god created the heavens and the earth aren't you thankful for that and don't get don't get shy of that simple truth in the beginning god created the heavens and the earth and it was god that formed man and breathed into his nostrils uh, the breath of life and he became a, a living soul it was god that said that all things were created by him and for him and he is before all things and by him all things consist and we are created by god and therefore we're accountable to him and and you aren't just a, 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 a chance happening. You were created. And this God that you worship in the unknown God, he is your creator, number two. He is your governor. He is the governor, 26 through 29. And notice how it says, and hath determined the times before appointed in the bounds of their habitation, referring to the nations. And he simply highlights to them that God is the one that even determines the times, the durations of a nation. Yes, God even determined the time and the duration of this country. And he determined the time of the Roman Empire and the, the Greek Empire and the Egyptian Empire. He determined all the times. He knew that and he even uses the tensions of those governments and a, a, failing, a, a, a failing economy and a failing government and a failing uh, 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 dictatorship and so on. He uses all that to cause people, look at verse number 27, that they should seek 
the Lord, if they might happily feel after him. And what we see here is God is using the tensions, the durations of nations right within the world. He is orchestrating. He is sovereign over all these things, working the, the circumstances to bring men to himself. God is the governor. He's not lost control. And Paul preached to them that God is near and knowable. He even quotes one of their poets and saying, for we are also his offspring, and, and just uses a little bit of logic. If you say we are God's offspring, and we're living, and we have a soul, and we, we can think on our own, doesn't it stand to reason that God would not then be a stone idol? Wow, that's pretty amazing. And he uses their poets. He observed so much that he was able to use their poets and all he's underscoring is the fact that God is the governor. He is in control of all things. God is the ruler yet, as the song says. He is Savior, verse number 30. In the times of this ignorance, God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. The times of ignorance being the times of history. Those uh, running after other gods. These times God winked at. What did God say? Oh, I'll let them buy, I'll let them to heaven. No, salvation has always been by faith, through grace, in Jesus Christ, either in the coming Christ or as we look back to Christ. Abraham was saved the same way you are, by placing faith. And it was counted unto him for righteousness. He got imputed righteousness by placing faith. And so the time of ignorance was uh, God was patient with. God was patient with people and constantly wooing them to himself is the idea. But he is now commanding because Jesus Christ has come, repent. Change your mind, and that repentance change, uh, results in a change of direction and action. That's all that means. It's not turning over a new leaf. It's not reforming, well, I'll do better. I'll be a better person, and then God will accept me. No, repent. Turn from your sin. Turn from your idols. Turn from your dead works to Jesus Christ. Receive him is the idea of what Paul was saying. And so they were to do an about face. Reject all the gods that are all over Athens and receive Jesus Christ. Repent. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. And lastly, he is judge. There's a day appointed when all men are going to stand before him and the man Christ Jesus, the God-man Christ Jesus, has been set over that judgment day and he will judge all that stand before him, whether they have accepted or rejected him. All men are accountable to their creator as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment for the Father judgeth no man, but hath committed all judgment unto the Son. And there is a day coming, and they needed to know, yes, you've all been created by God. He is in charge of all things. He has sent his Son to be your Savior, and you will answer to him. All these things flying in the face of their thoughts and their theories, all of these things were against their, their belief system. The Stoics and the Epicureans had the concept of right and wrong. Paul asserts that that right and wrong came from their creator and he was the one that would be the final judge. So how did this go for Paul? Well, some heard it, heard of the resurrection, and they mocked. Well, there's that rejection. There's that rejection. Others said, we'll hear this matter again. We're not ready yet, but we'll hear it again. And then there were some that claved to him and believed. You know what? We're looking for the sum. You cannot, you cannot force a person in the kingdom of God. You are looking today and tomorrow and this week for a person whose heart is open to the truth. 
God, lead me to that person. Lead me to that person. Do you know what the great thing is? God knows who that person is. Preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. <laughs> they mocked, but unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. It's the power of God. So some rejected the message and some received it. And that's the same thing today. And friends, I want to leave us with this final thought. Paul went into a city that had a lot of sights. A sightseer goes into a city. They become fascinated with the sights. They seek pleasure. They enjoy leisure, taking time off, looking at the physical sights. Pretty much keep themselves, don't want to be bothered. In fact, how many of you have said, I want to just go to a place where I don't know anybody, right? You know what I'm saying? So that's a sightseer. A soul winner goes into a place, they're on mission, they're looking for the opportunities, they're creating the opportunities, they're looking past the physical sights, looking fast, past the people who are gifted in certain areas, looking past their, their, uh, their abilities, and they're looking to the soul of that person, to the spiritual need, and they declare Christ. They declare Christ. They're not satisfied with having been in a place and walking out of that with not, uh, without having the opportunity to exalt the Lord Jesus Christ in some way, shape, or form. And friends, today, I think we all need to ask ourselves a question. Are you a sightseer in your community, or are you a soul winner? Are you a sightseer in this city of Kettering, or are you a soul winner? Are you a sightseer in this world? Are you enamored with the sights of it all, or are you a soul winner? And if your answer is, Pastor, man, I've really done too much time uh, just looking at the sights. I don't get moved. I don't get stirred in my heart anymore at the, the spiritual condition. If a person dies, I don't, my first thought is, where, where did they go? My thought is, well, that's sad. They were such a great person. They were so gifted. Friends, a sightseer is not what God has called us to be. He's called us to be soul winners. And so as a church family, can I just encourage you, let, let's, let's move along here. Let's, let's go forward here by God's grace. Let's ask God to give us the strength, and we'll do all that we can. We can do all that we can to in, in encourage and strengthen you. Talk to me. If this is on your heart, if you're burning, you say, Pastor, I, I'd like to go make some visits. I'd like to go soul winning with you. I'll do it with you. You take the step. You take the initiative. You say, that's what I want to do. I want to learn. I want to go forward. Let's do it. Let's not be sightseers. Let's be soul winners. John Getty, he pioneered missions, mission work in the New Hebrides Islands, uh, west of Australia. It is said of him when he landed in the New Hebrides in 1848, there were no Christians there. And when he left in 1872, there were no heathen. There's a man like the Apostle Paul. I'm not looking for where it's already ready-made. I'm not here just to see the sights. I'm here to change and to lead people to the Lord Jesus Christ. And I can't read Acts 17 without seeing anything different. Paul wasn't a sightseer. He was a soul winner. And every one of us want to be like the Apostle Paul because that's what God wants us to be. Let's stand and pray. Thanks for joining us for this episode, and please take a moment to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you enjoy this content, please don't hesitate to leave us a five-star review and share this podcast with your friends. We'd like to extend an invitation to you and your family to join us for worship this week at Grace Baptist Church. We'd also love to connect with you online at gracekettering.org. Thanks again for checking out this episode. 
and we look forward to having you join us again right here on the Grace Baptist Church podcast.